Well, it is Mother's Day, and if you have your Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, to a, a passage of Scripture that is almost exclusively reserved, unfortunately, for the Christmas season. I want to talk to you about Mary this morning and some, uh, some things we can learn. Some of you ladies can, all of us ladies, all you ladies and all of us can learn from Mary's story and Mary's life. Now, this is the task that is before me today. My task is to bring a message that will encourage and inspire and point you towards Christ. Your task is to receive that message with joy and glad affirmation. But there is a time issue that we have here. We must make sure that I finish my job before you finish your job this morning. If we do that, everything would be great. And the more you act like you enjoy this talk, the shorter it gets. All right, let's pray. Father, it's been a good day at Hope Crossing. <laughs> let's go to the Word of the Lord and get straight away to that. It is good to have my mom with us this morning. My mom came up from Lawrenceville and Lilburn, and uh, uh, Chris and Lisa have meant so much to us. And, and the mother of my two children, my, my lovely wife, Trisha, is with us as well. Thank you, and we love you very much. Luke chapter number 21, or chapter 1, we begin with verse number 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greeting, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Drop down, if you will, to verse number 38. And Mary said... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel of the Lord departed from her. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, we uh, thank you for this time to gather in your name. We thank you for the privilege of opening up your word that's alive and living and powerful, God. We now come to sit under it and under its covering and under its anointing. And we ask that through this ancient word that you would speak a profound right now message to everyone here. Father, this is Mother's Day in our nation. And so, Father, we set aside time to honor our mothers. And I pray for all the mothers here, but also pray for those who are longing to be mothers who might be gathered, or those who have lost their mothers and they grieve today, or those who have lost a child in the pain that is unbelievable. I thank you for all those, as our worship team reminded us, of all the spiritual mothers that are here. And I pray for those who are missing their mothers today. And I pray additionally, Father, Father for the mothers and the children whose relationships are strained or even broken, that somehow through it all, Christ, you would be exalted and you would bring healing and hope in Christ's good name. And together we said, Amen. It was out of obscurity 
in a wayward village in the middle of nowhere that God chooses a young woman to be the mother of the Son of God. Mary, the mother of Jesus. The one God himself has says, she's the one. She's the one that will bring forth my son. She's the one who will raise him and nurture him and encourage him and, and build him up that he may fulfill the purpose by which has been determined before the foundations of the earth. When we look at the scriptures, there are so many remarkable women we could look at this morning and be inspired by, but I do not know that there is one that rises above the story in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, if we're honest in our tradition, the Protestant tradition, we struggle with what to do with Mary because of other Christian traditions and maybe they're pushing beyond what the scripture would encourage us to do as it relates to Mary, we have overswung the pendulum and we have kept Mary now at an arm's distance. We, we, we don't know what to do with Mary. We don't want to, to worship her. We don't want to pray to her. That Bible doesn't give us that instruction. But, but we don't want to draw too close lest we, we get pulled into that vortex. And therefore, we do un, this unfortunate thing. We, we kind of set her on the shelf. We know her story. She had a, a necessary assignment from God to be the mother of Christ, but let's not get too involved. But I'm telling you, this is a woman of remarkable character, a woman of remarkable insight whose life can be inspiring to us even today in the 21st century Western world of Christian faith that you and I are engaging in. Her life is worthy of examination and, and drawing principles that would encourage and inspire us. Let me give you a little bit of a background, as much as we know. Mary was uh, born, as far as we can tell, in a little small village called Nazareth. Nazareth is about 35 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. It's just a small little village. It was a blue town uh, village. Uh, there would have been uh, uh, agricultural, uh, uh, economic-driven identity there. They, they, there would have been blue collar. Uh, the young man that she was betrothed to be engaged to, Joseph, he was a carpenter and he had probably lived there all his life and his family had probably lived there for generations. And that's how it typically worked. A man would uh, learn his occupation from his father, would take over the business and from generation to generation, it would just perpetuate itself. In the little city of Nazareth, there's one well. If you go to Nazareth today, that well is still there. It's called Mary's well. It would have been the well that Mary would have gone and done her daily chores as a young lady and even as a mother of Christ. Uh, it's also interesting because this well is the only wa water source of the city of Nazareth, which means archaeologists believe that this town probably was only about two or 300 people in all. It's this wayward little village, a village that if you were raised in, that I was raised in, our one hope would be that we could get a full tank of gas and leave and never come back. You, anybody know those little towns in your own life? If I can just get out, the best thing in the town are the roads out. You just want it out of this little desert village. Matter of fact, Nazareth had such a, a reputation that Later on in the story, when Jesus is entering into his public ministry, Nathaniel asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's just a dumpy little town across the tracks. 
Nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth, except God finds this young girl named Mary. And God says, she's the one. She's the one that I have chosen to carry the Son of God who will redeem man from their sins. And we know the story. There in Nazareth, one night, the angel, the Lord Gabriel, shows up. And he says to her, Mary, you have found favor with God. For you shall conceive and give birth to a child, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he shall save his people from their sins. And out of that obscure little village rises arguably the greatest mother who ever lived. As far as we can tell through sociology and archaeology, Mary was probably 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. That feels very awkward to us, doesn't it? Joseph, who she's betrothed to be married to, is probably in his late teens, maybe as old as early 20s. The betrothal process is quite different than any of our dating and courtship processes in America To be betrothed, it was first established by the covenant and then the consummation of the covenant. The covenant was established by the families and they would come into covenant relationship in marriage. And for one year, they would be in that covenant relationship as Joseph is making all the preparations necessary in order to receive Mary as his wife. And after one year, then they would consummate the marriage in a celebration. That's why you remember the story when the scripture says that When they were betrothed and the word comes to Joseph that Mary is going to have a child, he thinks to put her away in divorce. The only way to get out of that engagement, because they had already made a covenant together, was to go through a horrible, embarrassing, scandalous divorce, and the angel of the Lord has to meet with him. Yet here is this young lady who had become the earthly mother of God. What is it that we learn from her? What is it about her life that could be inspiring and hopeful to us? Let me give you just a few things this morning, and hopefully they will encourage you. The first takeaway I want to share with you is this, is that Mary was a woman of preparation. Mary was a woman of preparation. Here's a young lady who had determined way before the angel of the Lord ever appeared to her that she was going to make her life ready for the use of God. Even though she lived in an obscure land and she lived in a small village and nothing ever seemingly ever came out of that, Mary did not keep that from deterring her from preparing herself to be used of God. She was ready for the moment when God called upon her. She was unashamedly identified as a virgin, which speaks of her own pursuit of holiness her own righteous living. She was chaste. She she had kept herself for the purposes of God. She understood, even though nothing was going on in the moment, that each day was a day of preparation in her life. And I want to remind all of us today, and especially our ladies in here, you do not just have a a run-of-the-mill day in your life. Every day is a day of preparation. Every day is a day to set your heart, to seek the Lord, to call upon the name of the Lord, to lean into Him by faith, trusting that God, whatever you may have for me today or tomorrow or next month or next year, when that moment comes, God, according to your great plan, I want to be ready and I'm going to prepare my life for when 
whenever that moment might happen. I remember when the Lord called me into ministry and I was so anxious to preach the gospel. But no matter what I did, I just couldn't get an opportunity to preach. I mean, I couldn't even get invited to a men's fellowship pancake breakfast on Saturday morning. But I knew I had to prepare. And at the time, my wife, Trish, and I, we were living in Augusta, Georgia, And I didn't have a congregation to preach to, but I knew I had a sense of preparation in my own life. So what I started doing every week is I would write a sermon in preparation of one day getting an opportunity to pastor or preach. And on Saturdays was my day. I would mow the grass and I would get out behind my push mower and I would preach that sermon until I got the grass done. Our poor neighbors thought I had lost my mind. But what I was doing was simply preparing myself for what God, I believe, was going to call me to eventually one day. Listen, friends, it is not the day of war that you prepare for war. You prepare for war in the day of peace. And it is not waiting till the calling of God opens up in our life or an angel of the Lord appears that we begin to set ourselves aside for the work of God. No, today is that day. Today is the day that we've gathered to sit under the word of the Lord that we may hear God's word and through that be prepared for what God is doing and going to do in our life. Can I remind you of this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Verse number 19, when Paul says, your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, and it has not entered into your heart all that God has in store for those who love him. In other words, there's more to your life than what you can see right now. And God is doing more than what you can tell right now. So in this moment, do like Mary did, prepare yourself, because who knows, Gabriel may show up this evening. But not only was she preparing herself, But we learn from Mary that as a mother, she had to prepare her child for his ministry. She had to prepare Christ. You know, sometimes I believe we have this overglossed view of what that was like. We know that Jesus theologically was always the Son of God. There was never a moment in which he was not God. But we also know there was never a moment he was not fully man which meant that he was also fully baby, which meant he was also fully toddler and preschooler, which meant that Mary's preparation now wasn't just about her own life in ministry, but now her preparation was that for her own children, that she may raise them in a way that they would be able to walk into that which God calls them to. Someone had to teach Jesus how to sit up straight at the table. Someone had to teach Jesus how to eat his peas with his mouth closed. Someone had to chase Jesus around and get him in bed. I know we don't like to think of the Savior in that context, but because we never do, we think that our plight as parents and as mothers is different But Jesus had to be disciplined and cared for. And Mary had to teach him the scriptures. And Mary had to impart to him the faith. Just like you do. Moms, women of God, today is a preparation both for you and for those whom God has placed around you in the ministry that he has called them to. And your touch is invaluable.
Second thing I want you to notice about Mary is this. She is a woman of great faith. Not only was she a woman of great preparation, she was a woman of great faith. Her preparation of her life led to a growing faith in her heart. She sat under the Word of God as God's Word was being taught in the synagogues, and she brought her children to sit under the teaching of the rabbis. And they would get up each morning and they would pray the Shama together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And they would recite and quote the Torah together. And all of that built faith. Until in verse 38 of our text, we hear her being able to say with great confidence, not in herself, but in the God in whom she had come to believe and trust in, when she said, let it be unto me even according to thy word. Let it be unto me even according to thy word. I believe God. I may not understand this. I may not get what God's doing. I may have more questions than I might have answers right now, but there is something that I, that I can lean into my faith in the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God that even in these moments where I don't understand, I can continue to walk out my faith before Him. A little later on in the story of Mary and Jesus, when Jesus is beginning His ministry, John records this you'll recall that Jesus' first ministry or miracle took place at the wedding at Canaan of Galilee. Another small little village, and Jesus is there, and Mary, his mother, is there as well. And you remember the story. Mary, no doubt, is somehow a part of the serving team. They run out of wine. She goes to Jesus and the disciples and says, hey, we are out of wine. Something needs to happen here. You need to do something. Run down to a Kroger. Run somewhere but something got to change here, Jesus. Now watch this. We miss the crucial moment of what this is in Jesus's and Mary's relationship. You remember the response of Jesus, right? It seems so harsh and abrupt. <laughs> Woman, what does this have to do with me? Young men, if you're here and you live with your mother, and even if you don't live with your mother, I would not offer that as a quote for your mother. Do with it as you will, but I'm just telling you, you may, you may find that your mom has a strong right hand. <laughs> it, it was not in any sense this sense of disrespect to his mom, but rather, watch this, a separation that, Mom, I am now no longer under your voice and authority, but the voice and authority that I will listen to from this point on is the Father's. Up to this point, whatever Mary said to do, Jesus as a faithful, loving son did because he was under her authority. But now he is saying to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? There is a shift in my life and in my season. And he says, woman, in a way of honor and respect, but not intimacy. I am now, if you will, under fresh management and whatever the Father says I have to do. It's her response that's so important because her response is a response of faith and a transition of life. She turns to the disciples and says these words, and I want you to note this. These are the final words that are recorded in the Bible that Mary, the mother of Jesus, speaks. And they are profound. Turning to the disciples, Mary says, whatever he says to do, do it. 
the final words recorded in the scripture could not be more profound or more faith-filled for us. Mary is in a point of transaction and transition. Her son, her eldest son, the promise of God, who she has cared for, she has nurtured, she has taught, she has done everything she could in parental love, direct his path. Now she realizes that cord's being cut. And she's going to have to enter a fresh and a different relationship with her son. Any mom who's been a mom for 20 years or plus, you've gone through many of those transactions. For all the new moms, you remember it. When you, when you left your baby with your mom or your dad or your husband's mom or dad for the first time, it was an overwhelming sense of uncertainty. This was, she, my baby's never been away from me. Or that first day at school, or the first doctor's appointment, or then the first day of school, or, or then they're, they're going to ride the bus. They're going to ride the bus without me? How, how can they ride the bus without me? I need to be there with them. And thus we had the invention of the helicopter mom. And then you're having to watch them play soccer at rec league. Or you can, that kid's a bully. Someone needs to throw him out. And then he goes off to that, that dreadful place, middle school. And what happens to our sweet children in middle school? They go as sweet, adorable children and come back as demons. Something is wrong. Then they have their first date. Their first date, are you kidding me? And they borrow the car for the first time. There are going to be 10,000 different transitional moments in your life. I remember when we took our daughter who graduates this weekend from the University of Georgia. Thanks be to God, she's off the payroll. But... <laughs> She, on our first day of college, we took her. And on the ride home, Trisha cried the whole way. And she says, this is just a season in which I've got to trust Christ for the change. Some of you are in those transactions now. Your heart is overwhelmed. Your kids moved off. Your kids gotten married. They've taken a position. They're going a position you don't want them to go or you may not understand. And maybe the words of Mary this morning are profound unto you when she says, whatever Jesus says to do, do it. Now, she didn't decide that just on the whelm. That was built out of a life of sitting under the word that bred faith in her life as she had prepared herself for the work that God had called her to. Here's the next thing I want you to notice, ladies. We learn from Mary what it means to be a woman of great courage. A woman of great courage. The fruit, the faith lived out, that she lived out, had to be lived out on a road called courage. One of the most remarkable statements in all of that story of the birth and the announcement of Jesus Christ is this one found in verse 38 when it says, and the angel of the Lord departed. Does that not strike anybody else as a horrifying moment to the whole narrative being told? 
I mean, Mary is sitting there. Gabriel appears. There are three angels that are named in the Scripture, Lucifer, Gabriel. Anybody remember the other? Michael. Gabriel shows up, says this. Mary says, wow, how can this be? And the angel says, well, that's simple. The glory of the Most High shall overshadow you. You shall conceive and give birth. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) Don't remember that part of biology class, but okay. (laughs) But then something horrible happens for Mary. The angel of the Lord departs. Because if I'm Mary, and maybe you would have done the same thing if you think about it, you're beginning to strategize, how am I breaking the news to Joseph? And I'm probably saying, okay, Gabriel, Joseph gets home at 5.30. I'm going to cook him, I'm going to have him a pot of coffee. It could be a long night, but as long as you're here, and if you can do that thing with your wings, you know, kind of flutter them, and if you can glow like a Roman candle, that's really going to help us down the conversation here. And then when we get done there, we're going to walk across the, the town over to my mom and dad, and we're going to have to kind of ease them into this. I don't know if they're quite ready for this moment, but as long as you're here, Gabriel, with the wings and the trumpets, and maybe you can bring some of your friends along, it will go a long way. But that's not what happened. Mary is left alone with what God has placed and birthed in her own heart. And the angel of the Lord leaves, and now she has to live out This preparation of faith on the road of great courage. Can you imagine what it would have been like to walk into that room with Joseph and say, Joseph, how was your day? It was good. Or as most men say, fine. What would you do today? Nothing. To which he finally comes back around, well, what happened in your world today? Well, you may want to sit down. The courage not to run and hide and abandon what God had called her to. But now to sit down and try to, as much as she humanly can, say to Joseph, Joseph, I love you dearly. But there was an angel in my bedroom. Sitting down with her mother and father and explaining that to them. Can you imagine the courage that it was when she now, they've sorted it out. Joseph has said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay in this. I don't understand this. An angel had to appear to him. And now she is nine months pregnant. And Joseph says, "Uh, by the way, we got notice today. We got to go back to Bethlehem where I'm from for a census. She's like, are you kidding me? I'm about to have a child. Where will we stay? Oh, I'm sure there's a room there somewhere for us. The courage of delivering your first child, not in your hometown, not with your mom, not with your dad, not with your loved ones, but in a manger in a dumpy little town of Bethlehem to which your first visitors are smelly shepherds. Can you imagine the courage that it required? Now probably back in Nazareth, and the word comes that Herod the Great has decreed the death of innocence 
And every child two years and younger must be killed. And now under the cover of darkness, Mary and Joseph have to leave and they go to a foreign land of Egypt and there they'll leave until Herod is gone. Can you imagine the courage that it would require and stir up? Can you imagine the courage of having to deal with the looks of the people most all the days of your life as they wondered and they questioned if Jesus isn't he just an illegitimate son and you were promiscuous? Can you imagine what that must have been like? The courage that she had to live out her life. The Bible says that she was a woman favored of God. And I just want to share this with someone. Maybe it doesn't apply here, but maybe it does. I think we have misunderstood the favor of God substantially and we have miscategorized it in our life. We hear guys on television across the land saying, if you have the favor of God, I'm telling you the blessings of God will come on you. Goodness will come, prosperity, blessings, and all this. Let me tell you, no one was more favored than Mary, the mother of Jesus. The angel of the Lord said twice in our text, you are favored of God. The grace of God is upon you. Let me tell you, your outward circumstances do not dictate the favor of God on your life. She had the favor of God on her, and she did not ride a limo down to Northside Hospital to deliver in Northside and stay at the rich. She showed up on a donkey in Bethlehem in a manger. The favor of God should not be measured by the outward circumstances of your life, but the inward working of God's grace, divinely leading and guiding and directing you day by day by His mercy and His goodness and His faithfulness and His provision in your life. And you may be in a place right now where you're scared and you don't know which way to turn. And it seems like every, every time you get settled, something gets unsettled in your life. And you could be tempted to say, maybe God's favor is not on me. But friend, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. The divine favor of God has rested upon you and His goodness and His mercy shall endure forever and ever and lead you into paths of righteousness. His goodness will not forsake you. His love will not abandon you. Hold to the favor of God regardless of your circumstances. If you believe that, why don't we give the Lord praise in this house this morning? I want to give you one more thought about Mary on this, about being courageous, because we usually don't see this either. But did you know the last time that we see Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, the last time we see it in the family narrative is when Jesus is 12 years old. After that, Joseph never again appears in the Gospels. Historians and scholars believe that Joseph probably died between Jesus' 12th uh, year and sometime before his uh, uh, public ministry began, which is to say this. This means now Mary, this courageous woman of God, is having to live as a single mom, navigating all the trials and difficulties and hardships not having Joseph around to deal with the children. You might remember in Mark chapter 3 that the other siblings of Jesus, James and the other ones, they were so put out with Jesus, they wanted to put him away. And, and Mary had to navigate her family in the midst of all of that. I'm telling you, motherhood is not for the cowardly, but for the courageous. And what we learn in Mary's life is that you can be courageous and trust in Christ. And the unexpected and the uncertain shifts and turns of our life. Then there's this, Mary was faithful. It wasn't that she was just a woman of faith, but Mary was a woman of faithfulness. That Mary didn't throw in the towel when 
the going got tough. Mary didn't seek only her own or pursue only what was best for her. But she remained faithful and faithful with great staying power. Every time we see Mary in the Scripture, she's with Jesus. She has a side role. We almost never hear her voice, but she's there. When Jesus performs miracles, she's there. When Jesus is being questioned by the religious leaders, she's there. When Jesus is tired and weary and he has ministered all day and into the evening, she's there. When Jesus is arrested and drugged into the city of Jerusalem, she's there. When they beat her son, she's there. When they say unspeakable things about the one whom she cherishes, she's there. When she is pleading in her own heart, Jesus, defend yourself, defend yourself. Call angels. And yet she realizes that he's on a path designed by God. She does not balk and she doesn't walk away mad at him or God. She remains faithful. On Calvary's hill, as her son hangs between heaven and earth, on the tree that he created in between the earth and the heaven that adore him. When his other friends had abandoned him, when his friends had denied him and betrayed him, when the disciples had fled for their own life and safety, we look down and there's mom. Each of us, hopefully, can pause and look back over the course of our life and those midnight hours of our life when we had been beaten, we had been broken, we'd been ridiculed and we had been shamed. And when others had left, mom remained. And for some of you right now, maybe you have a son or a daughter that they have wounded you and they have hurt you and they have dishonored you and they have not lived well the easiest thing is just to say I'm bolting I'm going with my own life I'm done Mary teaches us what it means to be faithful even when our kids are hanged out to dry because Mary knew something about the gospel that maybe we need to remember that the glory of the gospel is that there is always the hope of a resurrection. And even though our kids may be hung out to dry and they're going in a direction that's not God's best and everything has 
lost their way and the wheels have come off the cart, I believe that a faithful mom is able to sit there and see that mess and say, I know it's Friday, but there's a Sunday of resurrection coming our way. Somehow my God is going to be faithful. Somehow God's going to take all those words I've spoken into my children over the years and somehow before they're old, they will return to the faith. They'll come back. There'll be healing. There'll be restoration. There'll be hope. There'll be salvation. There'll be a reconciliation. Am I preaching to anybody in this house this morning? Can I remind us that the hope of the gospel is that there's a resurrection on the other side of these painful moments because of the power of who Christ is? And Mary seems to know that. Mary, a woman of preparation and faith, a woman of courage and faithfulness. And finally, I want to give you this. She's a woman of worship. A woman of worship. The last time we see Mary in the Scripture is Acts chapter number 1. By now, Mary is probably in her 50s. Her son Jesus has died, but on the third day was raised to life again by the power of God, affirming everything that Jesus ever claimed to be about himself, everything he ever claimed about God, everything he ever claimed about man and forgiveness and eternal life. For 40 days, Acts chapter 1 says that Jesus revealed himself with many infallible proofs that he was raised from the dead. And on the 40th day after his resurrection, Acts chapter 1 says that he ascends up to heaven. And there he takes his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. But just before he does, he says to his disciples, go now and remain in Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. For John truly baptized you with water, but I shall baptize you not many days from now in the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture identifies that the disciple and the 120 and Mary, the mother of Jesus, made it up to the upper room. And there for 10 days of prayer and worship and glad surrender to Christ, they waited the promise. On that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the power of God was revealed and the church was birthed. Mary was there. And that's the last time we see her in the Scriptures. There's a couple of references to her in the Pauline writings. But church history tells us this. You'll remember that while Jesus was on the cross, He looked down to John, the beloved disciple, and said to him, Behold your mother and mom, behold your son. Another indication that Joseph was completely out of this picture. And since Jesus was the eldest son, he would be responsible for the care of his mother. So he looks to his closest friend on earth, John, and says, John, would you take care of my mom? And he says to his mom, Mom, I want you to trust John. He'll watch out for you. And church history leads us to believe that Mary would end up leaving Jerusalem after a few years and moving to Ephesus where John would minister. And Mary would serve out her final days on earth in the local church, no doubt loving young people, mothering spiritually the men and women of the church. Her life becomes quiet. The light that once shone so brightly upon her now dims. And from the obscurity which she rose out of, 
Her life seems to step back into that obscurity at the end. But oh, during that time, the example that she gave to us, and she gave us a song. It's called The Magnificent. And I want to read it to you as we close. Luke 1, verse 47 and continuing. And Mary sang, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked upon the, the humble state of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the thrones and he has exalted the, the, the humble estate of others. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. No wonder, she said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in the Lord God, my Savior. Let's pray.